welcome back to the Females in Motorsport podcast. When we asked you guys who you'd like to have on the podcast, this name came up a lot. So I'm very excited to introduce Christina Manuelides, the senior CFT engineer at Alfa Romeo F1 team, also director at Racing Pride and ambassador for Girls on Track. How are you doing today, Christina? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Like I mentioned in the intro, we had a lot of people request you specifically. So I'm very excited to have you here. No, it's it's good to finally get on. I know we've been trying to schedule it for a while, <laughs> so it's good to be here. Yes, just, you know, just how the F1 game goes. I know schedule is always up <laughs> in the air. But I want to start today with something that's considered a bit of a hot topic in F1, and that is the masculinity of the sport. So motorsport has a very long history of being considered quote-unquote masculine and with many racing legends like on the past have kind of exemplified that stereotype a little bit as well. And apart from hiring practices and all those like nitty-gritty things, um, I want to know from you, what do you think the sport can do to change that cultural mindset about masculinity and welcome more diversity of thought and even fandom? Mm-hmm. I think we're going to be talking all day. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, <laughs> I should probably, you know, preface what I assume is going to be a relatively critical conversation on my behalf with, like, you know, the acknowledgement that F1 is a symptom, not the disease. Um, mm. It's something that I like to refer to quite a lot because, you know, like any sport, we still suffer, like you say, at the hands of societal norms. And, you know, unfortunately in our sport, that includes those that were sort of built upon our sport and built around our sport. However, you know, that doesn't mean that we can't aim to drive change within the sport. Um, in saying that, yes, I do believe we need a change in cultural mindset, of course, um, particularly in order for the sport to become more diverse in all aspects. But, you know, the question of how do we do that? Uh, to me, I think if you particularly look at the past and the efforts that have already been you know, tested and tried within the sport, it's really about commitment and investment. Um, as I said, you know, so far what we've seen in F1 has been very surface level. We've sort mm -hmm. of been slapping band-aids on our weak points without really believing in or committing to the initiatives um, that, that we've sort of, uh, you know, begun within the sport for example like we races one launched in 2020 i believe and you know while we did see drivers given the opportunity to you know make a statement um against racism at the start of each race for example there was so much controversy around we races one um when you consider the fact that you know there was notice taken to the fact that it wasn't always being broadcast in some races in some countries they were cutting out like sort of cutting away from camera at that point um or you know at one point the rainbow disappeared from the logo and now we races one sort of somehow just disappeared and uh instead instead i believe it just became um f1's own sort of slogan for their environment social and corporate governance program so there was never really something tangible to come from it at least not that we as consumers saw um and i really believe like the same can be said for f1's drive it out campaign which was another band-aid reaction to the abuse that came to light amongst the fans at the austrian grand prix both at the at the track and online so yeah i think to me it seems like all the tangible work so far so to date really is 
being done um, external of the F1 bubble, as I like to say, but still within the community. And, and um, you know, if you think about there's more and more online communities, such as females in motorsport as well, that are really growing and, and helping to diversify the fan side of things. Um, and then you have businesses such as Arado Labs, which is an online safety software, which contributes to analyses of online abuse around F1. And, you know, these are the people really gathering the data that we need to make a case for, you know, this cultural change that we so desperately need and, and, that, you, and that you ask about. Yeah, I think you hired something very important is that there is a gut bandaid reaction that's very common in the corporate world that, you know, something comes out and there is a lot of conversation about a specific con like a topic and then there is this like this corporate label on it and mm -hmm. it makes like news rounds for like, you know, a few months, a few weeks, maybe even a year, but then there's no tangible um, execution coming out of it. There's no tangible mm -hmm. like uh, measures coming out of it. And it's hard, like, I think it's it's very interesting to think about, like, what actually happened from We Races 1. I still don't even know what that actually, like, mm -hmm. what actually meant. And I've done a lot mm -hmm. of research into it. And I think the fact that it's so hard to even find out what it means, even on the F1 website or even on, like, the news websites, that kind of gives you an idea of how intentionally exactly. or unintentionally it was thought through. And I think that is kind of like a big barrier to change that cultural mindset because mm. unless the sport itself embraces it, like how can we expect fans to embrace it? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I mean about commitment, you know, and this is something that we do um, with the organization that I work with, Racing Pride, is that, you know, we understand that this sort of um, marketability and attractiveness of um, marketing diversity within any organization or with any corporation is really attractive because um, you know society is sort of pressuring us to talk about these things and we race as one sort of it brought conversation to the table but like we've been saying there was nothing really to come out of it so it was good in a way because for the first time in our sport we were talking about things whether they were positive or negative reactions online you know, these topics were coming up and that was the one good thing to come out of it. But, you know, what we do with Racing Pride is that whenever we work with partners, we say like, okay, you have your Pride Month and it's and it's also important, you know, as a sport and as teams particularly to have public activations because the sport is more than just the internal, it's also the fans and making sure that fans feel like it's a space for them. But there has to be tangible work done leading up to this and continuing on afterwards during the partnership to make sure that actually something you know purpose driven is coming out of this uh, this partnership yeah absolutely and i think pride month is also again a very interesting conversation because a lot of teams will change their logos and a lot of like f1 organization sponsors will change their logos and i think that's great too you know for that visual aspect of it mm. but it's very hard if you actually do any research about the demographics of like companies for example and yeah. I think there is a lot more information coming out about, like, let's say, like ethnic breakup, which is great. But I would personally like to see what are the other kinds of uh, communities that you're welcoming. And mm -hmm. it's, I think LGBT communities are gen specifically super, super hard to get any information about the demographics in a company. It is obviously also like a bit of um, a dichotomous conversation because some people might not want to identify openly about it, which is totally fine and a personal choice. But I think the sport is also kind of responsible if you're not making people 
specifically your workforce feel welcome enough mm-hmm. then yeah. there is a lot of you know fear and there's a lot of um internalization about it i think yeah. and i would love to know from you what you think f1 as a sport can do to actually encourage more diversity specifically in lgbtq communities but also ethnic diversity in the workforce itself yeah you know i think and and from what we see you know we see a lot of positive reports in the sense that teams are saying you know like x percent of our workforce that are women are in senior positions and things like this and we seem to be like focusing on how can we best market that information but we're, we're sort of lacking transparency and without that transparency we can't really make step towards fixing problems um and i think we really need to be asking questions such as you know what aspects of the environment or culture influence the retention of underrepresented groups in formula 1 so <laughs> equal provision of f- facilities flexible working and mm. whether you know that be in factories or the track so um i can think about an example with marshalling even i was speaking in melbourne at the girls on track event to janet tan who was the regional representative for the fia women in motorsport commission in asia pacific um and she mentioned to me that this year in singapore they rolled out a two piece marshalling kit because you know they'd done research and they found that one of the barriers to women becoming or remaining marshals was the single piece uniform and how difficult mm. and time consuming it was to go to the bathroom and another one being the number and the location of bathrooms which were you know again after they found this information they were able to revise that and this all came from asking questions but not just asking questions from also caring enough to find the root problem mm. and implementing a solution and this is what i was talking about commitment and investment because you know finding problems and implementing solutions is something that we should all be used to from our day-to-day work in F1 but i think you know marshalling aside if i think about the teams and and sort of through my experience the biggest question for me is how do business practices such as fixed holiday periods so the august and christ uh, christmas shutdowns now which can be in total up to 15 of your 25 days of holiday um you know how do these business practices on top of excessive unpaid overtime influence the decision of people to apply for a position in formula 1 um to ex- accept a position in formula 1 or mm. retain a position in formula 1 for all genders and, and it's and you know when you force employees to take their holidays at peak times that's also non-inclusive yeah. um and then i guess also if you consider that we still live in a society where women are the primary carers of children thank you gender pay gap for that yep um <laughs> we're just making it more difficult um for women to enter and to re-enter the workforce well our workforce and you know in an in- industry where on average only 10% of employees are women and less than 5% in technical positions you know we can't afford to be narrowing even further the profile of potential employees anymore and you know these these practices just don't make sense anymore so why yeah. do we insist on continuing to operate in this way just because it's you know historical <coughs> and and it's the culture that we've built around the sport yeah. and in you know really taking a step back asking these questions and i guess bringing like our working practices into modern society is really what needs to happen 
yeah i think you touched on some very important topics there i do i 100% agree because i live in new york i'm from india and even here like of course i made the choice to move here and yeah. um i work in my full time job is in pr and communications at an agency which i absolutely love and i'm blessed and i'm lucky to live in a company in an environment also where like hybrid working is very mm-hmm. much like accepted um but i still like miss so many things because going mm-hmm. back home is firstly such a journey for me and also like the way the corporate culture is created like your like your vacation schedule your time off schedule and like for example christmas you always get like a longer period i don't celebrate christmas so for me it's great to have time off but you know it's not it's not something that i'm really using fruitfully to spend time with my family so mm-hmm. i think those practices are actually like very dated this is this is what i was saying as well about you know again it's a bandaid because when you speak to people about like oh why is it this way and they're like yeah but you know the the team that travels they they're always away and they need to make sure mm. that they have time off in the calendar and you're like only 75 to 100 people or something actually travel with the team some of them are also not factory based because there'll be also people that are caterers maybe they're contractors mm. or whatever and so if you consider like we have i don't know between all teams have between 300 and 500 ish employees at least and so when you consider that, that that is actually such a small number of the people who are actually traveling but again we're only focusing on what is happening in that sort mm. of section of of the of the sport because that is the visible part and then you there's no consideration of what's happening back in the factory where mm. the the majority of the work is being done and uh, it's just like it just makes absolutely no sense because there are what people fail to understand and you know I've had a lot of um negative comments on on Twitter for example when I had posted about the fact that there would be a an end of year a winter shutdown or whatever they're calling this one in December um and it's like you chose to do that job teachers also have prescribed holidays and you know this all well and good but you know teachers and schools operate in a very functional organized way because you know it's a school um this is f1 and we're a very um modern advanced technological um international so international exactly yeah. and so wh- why it doesn't make sense to operate in this way what you see on the outside is also not the only restrictions so you also need to consider that each team will operate in its own way and even within our team each department operates in a very different way so you know maybe some groups say that yes you can flexi work other groups no mm-hmm. you can't flexi work maybe one day two days maybe there always has to be one person from each group in the office at any one time which means um you know even when you have 10 days left to actually pick on your own you still have other limitations in the way so you know whether it's you can't go because there's a wind tunnel session or you can't go because mm. somebody else in your group is away it's, there's so many other limitations that aren't seen from the outside that sort of compress the pressure of you know can i take my holiday when can i take my holiday and and you know if it, if it, it we're already working in a very high pressure environment and mm. to have something so crucial as um time off you know everyone knows you need time off yeah. and without you know giving flexibility to that you're also not getting quality time off and without quality time off 
you know you're not operating at your best either so yeah what surprises me is that because f1 is such an international industry with people truly working from like all over the world of course like most of it all the teams are based in europe which is you know understandable but there are people who were who moved like you did from australia from other parts of the country and i think that's what surprises me the most that given that international demographic like why would you not be a little bit more mm-hmm. flexible specifically considering like time zones and like different cultural practices and all those things do you think like f1 itself like generally has an environment that is not as welcoming to diversity which impacts people not wanting to work in f1 yeah absolutely and this is what i was saying about like considering things like the the forced shutdowns because mm-hmm. you know that this is you know we're sort of we're operating still in a way that attracts a very narrow profile of person um you're expected and it's known that you work a lot of overtime um it's known that if you travel you're away a lot um it's known that there's not a lot of flexibility with respect to even you know home office just purely for i mean before covid we didn't even have a way to work from home and it was sort of frowned upon because of you know security reasons and things like this um and then when you consider the shutdowns as well you limit flexibility as well so you're kind of already alienating a lot of people so maybe people who need the flexibility to travel maybe their family can't relocate maybe they have family elsewhere maybe you know you don't have the ability to work in a certain country whatever um maybe you have children and they have um you know x amount of co-curricular activities and so you need to be a little bit more flexible with your hours and things like this and the way that we're working is very much like you need to be in presence you need to be face to face for anything to work um efficiently and well and you know you also can only take you know 15 out of 25 of your holidays um when we tell you to take them and that goes <laughs> for the whole sport and yeah. and this is what i was saying about you know how expensive it is to travel in those times as well and yes you don't have to travel but you know why would you yeah. not so yeah, if you yeah, can yeah. and people want to most of the time people will try get away have a break and so of course i think the way that we're operating is alienating people um it's it's stopping people from applying perhaps it's stopping people from staying in the industry perhaps it's incentivizing people to leave the industry earlier than they would like to and it's it's really such a shame when you consider that most people that work in motorsport particularly F1 work in F1 because they love it it's something they've always wanted to do and then to have all these things kind of thrown at you and to not feel like you're welcome to not feel included to not feel represented to to not feel like you have flexibility it's really it's it's a really big shame yeah yeah that is so true that everybody wants to work in F1 because it's their passion we all like have a passion for motorsport that's why we're in the industry and then yeah to have it almost like not love you back the same way is kind of yeah. heartbreaking <laughs> yeah um so i want to switch gears to fans and so obviously you know in the past five or like seven years there's been this huge explosion of fandom and f1 which is absolutely fantastic i am part of that explosion and um there's obviously been a huge influx of women specifically in the sport 
Um, but I have always said that I do not think F1 knows what to do with these new women in the sport. Like mm-hmm. I just don't think they're able to cater to them. Like the simplest of things is to create a safe environment for women, and even mm-hmm. that's like not something that's been addressed in like a tangible way that we were talking about. So I'd love to know from you. Like, do you think Formula One sees men and women fans differently and caters to them differently um, because of that? I have some quotes and stats written down that I want to touch on, but you know, one important thing that I want to raise from what you've said is that yes, there has been a huge diversification of the fan base in Formula One due to things like Drive to Survive, and we see a lot, particularly of younger people, um, younger women interested in the sport. And if we go back to what we just said earlier about most people wanting to work in F1 because they love F1 and it's their passion. You hear so many people now saying they want to change career paths, they want to get into motorsport, but also we're showing younger people what it is to work in the industry and now more of these young girls want to work in the industry. So it's really important not only that we cater to people equally as fans or but also that we prepare the workforce for this huge fluctuation of you know diversity that is eventually going to want to enter the workforce when when they're at that age so we need to also consider that part of it and we need to take what we can from what we're seeing in the fan base to prepare for in the workforce as well but if we go back to um the fan base um in the 2020 2021 F1 Global Fan Survey, Formula One, and this was a written piece, Formula One admit that it's no secret, quote, no secret they have been struggling for years to attract younger fans and females especially, and that the 2021 report speaks volumes about how the funnel effect of projects like Netflix Drive to Survive are engaging a new generation of F1 fans. So exactly what we were just saying before, but You know, if I go back to a, a tweet that Females in Motorsport posted in February this year, where uh, you analyzed the season five of Drive to Survive, mm-hmm. I think it came out that women spoke for only 1.54% of that entire series. And I think in knowing that, we need to be asking questions. How are we representing women in the media, particularly social media, because we know that this has a huge reach? Um, You know, are we promoting women in all contexts of the sport? So fans, guests, officials, employees. And are we seeing women ever as the main focus within the Mm -hmm. content? You know, what I find really disturbing as well, um, if I go back to the 2021 Global Fan Survey, while totally fully understanding that motorsport is a business and like any business, they are looking to increase revenue in F1, You know, the survey mentions on multiple occasions specifically which drivers and teams are the first and second favorites of the women respondents to the survey, but it completely fails to mention that of the men. Mm. And my perception of this is that F1 sees that their opportunity to engage women in the sport is not under the assumption that they may want a career in the sport and Mm. therefore be seeking visual representation of women employees at the track or um, officials but you know they're under the assumption that you know women are all women are attracted to men and that their interest in formula one is centered around their Mm -hmm. interest in the men of the sport 
And when you consider that, and we speak about fandom, but not just fandom in the sense of fandom itself, but what that could subsequently mean for the workforce, how many women are being alienated by this approach? Mm -hmm. How many women are being um, deterred to work in the workforce by not seeing representation in social media? How many women are deterred from being fans of the sport because it's being marketed in this way? Mm -hmm. And... You know, to see that written in the in the global fan survey itself, which is, you know, from F1, I think it's really concerning in terms of how um, the sport is being marketed. And like you asked, you know, how is it being marketed differently? Because yeah. we're still in this cultural mindset that motorsport is a, is a, a, a sport where men are fans and that yeah. it's only new that women are fans. Mm-hmm. And, and I just find it's, yeah, it's archaic and crazy. It's, that is it is exactly what it is, is that F1 only sees women as a way to obviously get revenue, but through the channels that they're attracted to men. Like, mm-hmm. I, I th- and I think that they're not only losing fans, they're also losing talent in that way. So um, F1 teams and drivers specifically have huge loyal followings, right? And they always have. I think a lot of people are you know, very staunch followers of one specific team. They've been with the team through thick and thin, that kind of loyal following. Do you think teams and drivers specifically, if we just take like Formula One out of the equation, how teams and drivers specifically can help create an example and influence the industry in some some positive way? Yeah, I mean, how many times do you hear people saying, you know, sport isn't a place for politics and Mm. people start to mix up you know, human rights uh, with politics. Um, But what people seem to forget is that sport has a huge influence, particularly the athletes, and so in our case, the drivers. Um, I always like to use the example of the mullet. The mullet Mm -hmm. made the biggest comeback in Australia, and that was largely driven by the fact that several Australian rugby players, AFL players... Uh, were getting the mullet and then suddenly it was just like every kid in the street had a mullet Mm. and you mean I mean of all things if you can take that example and say like how can an athlete with such a huge profile such a huge audience convince people to bring back the Mm. mullet you know we need to lean in on this not lean away from it and I feel like you know, we're completely going in the wrong direction with this principle of neutrality that the FIA introduced and with, like we said, the, the way that the sport is being marketed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that statement of neutrality is something, again, I just like so don't fully comprehend like what mm-hmm. exactly that means. Also, because it is written very ambiguously, probably on purpose. Yeah. Uh, but it is like very ambiguous because it is really very much in at the discretion of the FIA. Mm. It's more like what they consider fit to be said can be said, which again, actually kind of, it's contradictory because then it's not Mm. neutral. Politics and sports have been going hand in hand for centuries now. A lot of governments have used sports to further their own agendas. Like if you go into like the history of sports washing, there's a huge history Mm -hmm. there. And even today, like there's a lot of countries that are, you know, not just F1, like many other sports, like pouring money into it to kind of, re-outfit themselves in the world yeah. and the way that the um, audiences perceive them. 
and also attract tourism. I think that's something like huge for a lot of. Mm-hmm. There's so many new countries coming into the F1 calendar every year, and in any and other races and other sports as well. Like so many, for example, like FIFA. Every four years, there's like a new country where you have a sport, and there's like millions of dollars that go to the bidding process, and it's also because it attracts audiences, attracts tourism, yeah. and things like that. So I think it's interesting to think about the intersection of politics and sports because a lot of people think that oh like we should not politicize certain things but like simple things like human rights it's not mm-hmm. a political issue it's mo- it's mm-hmm. like a societal issue and yeah. to mix that with politics is um, a bit of an overestimation yeah absolutely and you know we know that sport has such a huge um or such a huge reach and such a huge mm. you know emotional sort of attachment to people i mean when you watch sport it's it's an emotional experience and yes. people you feel like you know the drivers i mean it's like this sport comes into your home and you become yeah as you become a fan you become sort of attached to something and then it's like anything you know what athletes are saying what celebrities are saying it's always going to be heard far wider than what somebody working in a factory is saying and so it's so important that we can try and you know position ourselves as teams position ourselves as athletes to you know drive forward change in a positive way yeah. and sort of use this platform in, in a much better way than we're currently doing yeah absolutely absolutely so before we wrap up this section of the podcast um for women and lgbtq plus communities and people in stem who are you know considering a career in motorsport considering making that change or perhaps have had you know unfortunately a bad experience in motorsport can you share some like words of wisdom this knowing that you're still in in the industry and how they can how that can help them navigate the industry yeah look i think everyone's experience is obviously going to be different and i'm not going to say that it will always be easy but it's important being here is important because without you there will be no change it's like asking a coo who has a fixed parking spot to understand the problems employees have trying to find parking at work when there's more employees than car spots you know without your perspective things will always continue to go unnoticed so you know i would I always appreciate when we have um more diverse people within the office and we definitely need you so please come. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. All right. Well, before we wrap up we're going to do a little fun rapid fire which is obviously my favorite section of the podcast. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you three questions and you just have to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Ready. Ready. <laughs> okay. So ready. <laughs> so number 1 What has been your biggest one learning having worked in the thick of so many mentorship programs over the years? Um nothing has changed since I was a kid and wanted to work in F1. We need to do better. Oh wow, that kind of breaks my heart. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that speaks volumes though, because I know you have been very very um active in in mentorship side which is amazing i don't know how you balance that with like the kind of work you do in engineering at alfa romeo so that's really cool um but that is something that you know we should all we should all keep in mind that there's still a lot to be done yeah, and it absolutely. is it is the truth yeah um <laughs> all right 
second question, what is your favorite way to celebrate your career wins, personal wins? Like, what's your go-to mode of celebration? Ooh, champagne. <laughs> oh, love that, love that. I would have said wine, so we're in the same boat, <laughs> Um, all right, and final question. I know you've been at Alfa Romeo F1 for a very long time. So what is what is like the best thing about working in the team? Um, probably something on the periphery, but living in Switzerland, it's a really beautiful mm-hmm. country. Oh, wow. I love that. I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Christina, for um, joining us on the podcast. Before we wrap up, do you want to tell people where they can find you, perhaps on social media or any other platform? Um, now you're assuming that I know all my social media. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on, let me check. It is. Um, it might be a bit hard to spell, but if you check out my name in the podcast description, um, you can find me on Instagram at Christina Manualides. Fabulous. Um, I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation today and especially about such important topics that many people don't feel as comfortable to talk about. So I'm really glad that you were able to open up and join me here. So I really appreciate that. Thanks very much. Chat soon. Thank you. <laughs>